We just thank you, Father, for this day. Yes, Lord, we just worship you, Father. There is no other place where we can find rest but in your presence. And Father, we stand, sit still and stand, Lord, and sit in your presence this evening. We want to be at rest, O oh Lord. Father, we want to listen to your still small voice. We want to be changed. We want to truly be converted deeply, transformed into your likeness a little more, so that, Lord, we, will, we might be made vessels of honor, fit for the Master's use, in these last, in these last days, in this last hour of time, commit each one of us into your hands. Commit those on the way into your hands. And even as we now meditate upon your word, speak to us. Anoint us, our hearing and our speaking. Open our eyes, open our ears, and empower us to obey. We thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, Amen. So we were looking at, uh, warfare, um, becoming men and women of war. And just wanted to look at one passage connected to this. If you turn in your Bibles to Second Samuel chapter 23. And Second Samuel chapter 23, and I'll read, I'll read from verses 8 onwards. <clears throat> um, I'll, re- I'll read here, and if, if I need some, any references, I'll ask you to read. But So yeah, Second Samuel chapter 23. Verse 8 onwards. <clears throat> These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Yosheba Shebeth, a Tacamonite, chief of the captains. He was called Adino, the Esnite, because of 800 slain by him at one time. And after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there to battle and the men of Israel had withdrawn. He arose and struck the Philistines until his hand was weary and clung to his sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And the people returned after him only to strip the spoil. Now after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, a Haranite, a Hararite. And the Philistines were gathered into a troop where there was a plot of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines. But he took a stand in the midst of the plot, defended it, and struck the Philistines, and the Lord brought about a great victory. And verse 13, then the three of the chief men, of the 30 chief men, so these were the, these were the three closest to David, so you, it's like, you know, even uh, in the disciples, there were the three who were closest to David, okay? Then three of the 30 chief men went down and came to David in the harvest time to the cave of Adullam, while the troops of the Philistines were was camping in the valley of Raphaim. Oh, sorry. Uh, excuse me. Oh, no, no. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, while the troops of the Philistines were camping in the valley of Raphaim, David was then in the stronghold where the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. David had a craving and said, Oh, that someone would give me a water to drink from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water from the well of Bethlehem, which was at the ga- which was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink, but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went in jeopardy for their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things, the three mighty men did. Question therefore is, how did these guys become mighty? From where did they start? Now, if you look at this account, you will say, this is boss, this must, these guys might be really, really powerful, strong people. Maybe they were specially gifted. They had great, incredible amounts of faith. And, but you know what? I believe they all had a common start. If you want to look at um, how these guys started, then you will possibly be able to relate with them a little more closely. Just look at another passage in the Bible, which gives us an understanding from where they started. Turn to 1 Samuel, <clears throat> chapter 22. 
First Samuel chapter 22. And I'll read from verses 1 and 2. First Samuel chapter 22. Verses 1 and 2. Okay? Are you there, everybody? So, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. You see the place Adullam is again mentioned. Okay? And when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. Verse 2. Everyone who was in distress, second, everyone who was in debt, third, and everyone who was discontented, gathered to him, and he became captain over them, and all there were about 400 men with him. So where did all these guys start? They all started with three D's. Three D. Okay. What are the three D's? They were all in distress. Okay. They were all in distress. They were all in, dis- uh, in, in debt. And they were all discontented. Okay. So these three mighty men among these 400, all of them had these three problems. But they overcame all of these things and they became mighty men. So I just wanted to uh, look at these three D's as to what we should overcome in our own lives. So that we can become mighty men like David's mighty men. And so the, I mean, how many of you are in distress today? feel that you are in distress at least. The Christian church in India feels they are in distress. Okay. How many of you are in debt? <laughs> How many of you are discontented? If you are, you have, if you have at least any strains of all these three qualities, then you are qualified to become mighty man. Okay. So, but the first thing, however, is that all these people who came to David, they recognized their need. Okay. You need to recognize your need. The first lesson you need to learn, therefore, is we all have a need. And we try to fulfill that need in different ways. Okay. Very interesting paragraph, uh, passage. If you turn to Mark's Gospel chapter 2 in your Bibles, Mark's Gospel chapter 2, and verses uh, 14 onwards, I'm going to read it in my Bible. You can follow it in your Bible. Okay. Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 14 onwards. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. I mean, you can see this. I don't want to, I don't want to delve too much into this. But, uh, by the way, um, discipleship is this. Jesus calls, you follow. No questions. Okay, you drop everything that you have and you follow. But and, and, and go on. Let's go on. Verse 15 onwards. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in the house and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples for there was many of them and they were following him. Okay. When the scribes and the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they said to the disciples, why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So there are a lot of people who think that they don't need because they're already full. But there are few people who recognize their need. Now, in Luke's Gospel chapter 5 again, in verse 17, he adds a little interesting uh, twist to this. The same passage is uh, repeated in Luke's Gospel chapter 5 uh, verse 29 onwards and, and I'm going to read just to 31 and 32. Uh, I'm just going to look at Jesus' answer. What do we need? Okay, uh, so Jesus 31 and 32 and Jesus answered and said to them, it is not those who are well who need a physician but those who are sick. I have not called the righteous but the sinners to what? Oh, to repentance. You see, what is Repentance. People who recognize their need for change every day of your life. Now, I, I always look, I, I, I like percentage, you know. I mean, I like how many percent of people really like to repent. How many do you think, according to the Bible, are people who like to repent? Percentage. Okay. Any ideas? What is Jesus' percentage? I mean, that is Jesus' bullet, it's, it's from the horse's mouth, okay. 
When Jesus said something and he gave up, if he gave a number, then it is it. How many of you think, what is the percentage of people do you think they know they need repentance? Few, but can you give me a precise percentage? 10% is a tithe. No, it's too much. <laughs> you know how many people? According to the, according to Jesus? 1%. Let me prove that to you. Okay, turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. <clears throat> the same context. Okay, Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. I mean, this is from the horse's mouth. So you just imagine we are, a, I mean, our church is 100 people, okay? So 1% of 100 is how many? Ah! <laughs> so just imagine these numbers. Okay, just keep that keep that in mind. Let's see. Verse one, verse one onwards. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, "This man receives sinners and eats with them." The same context. Okay, and look at what it says. Now Jesus answers. So he told them his parable, saying, "What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep? Okay, so you got a percentage already, huh?" And has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep which was lost. And look at the, the way Jesus is explaining this parable. He's, I mean, this is a parable and he's explaining it. Now, this is what he explained. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Can you imagine that it is possible that only 1% of people actually have a need, know that they have a need to repent in their lives? I mean, when I looked at it, it was startling. What a startling statistic. That is the reason why it says, narrow is the way to heaven and very few will find it. One percent. So I mean, we could be like 100 people in the church. I don't want to say anything now. So the greatest blessing in our lives is recognizing our need to what? Repent. We all need to change. Not one day. Every day, no. Every moment. You see, that is that is the reason why this is something which is which is so serious, no? And that that is, we need to also recognize that repentance is a gift. That is the reason why we come to the study of the Word of God. Go to Second Timothy chapter two, please, if you will. Second Timothy chapter two, verses twenty-five onwards. Why do we gather? Why do we give ourselves opportunities to listen to the Word of God? Chapter 2, verse 25. Somebody can read it, please. If you found it. Second Timothy, chapter 2. Yes, read it, Raj. In weakness, instructing those that oppose themselves. In weakness, instructing, in meekness, sorry. In meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves. For adventure, if God perhaps will grant them repentance. To the acknowledging of the truth. Oh. To the acknowledging of the truth. That is the reason why we come for the instruction of the word of God. So that we might gi- might be given opportunities so that we can listen to the word of God, look at the standard of God, word of God, and say, Lord, I recognize a need in my heart. So first qualification to become a mighty man of God is to become what? A people who recognize their need. A need to change. And that is the reason why, that is the reason why you need a savior. A need to change. Another place. Okay. Acts chapter 11 verse 18. I mean, repentance is a gift. So you see the, the, it's a, it's a, it's, it's one of the things that makes Jesus happy. There's more joy in heaven. So who is joying along with the angels? Sinners repenting causes what? God to be joyous. Okay. So this is something which causes joy. Just God is thrilled. I mean, like Pastor says, tickled pink. <laughs> Whatever that phrase is, no? Tickled pink when he sees once in a Lord, I need you. I need to ch- I need to change. And that is the reason the last instruction to the church is what? Not go make disciples. Repent. Ephesus, repent. Yeah, there you go. Look at that kid, no? Out of the mouth of babes. <laughs> is, is it Isaac? What's your name? Johan. 
Johan, Johan, okay. <laughs> okay, fine. You see, so that's the thing, you see. So the, the last words of Jesus to every church, except two, is repent. And that makes God absolutely happy. So to need to recognize, uh, uh, recognize the need to change. Okay, let's go back now to Second uh, Samuel chapter 23. No, sorry, First uh, Samuel chapter 22. Let's look at the three D's. Okay. <clears throat> Who are, what are these three D's? And what are these three D's that we need to overcome? There could be, there could be three bad D's. Uh, there could be a bad D or a positive D or a negative D, but I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna uh, qualify them slowly. First, what is distress? People who are in distress. You know what distress means? Um, uh, you have water. It's like, uh, it's like a, it's like an IIT JE exam. Okay. Um, somebody gave a very interesting analogy of, uh, uh, of, uh, of, of the difference between universities in, in US and universities in India. Okay. Universities in US is like a, is like big funnel. Anybody can get into the university. Okay. But the output is very small. Only few graduate. In India, it's the other way. Okay. It's the ulta. <laughs> very few can get into IIT, but everybody graduates. Okay. <laughs> because they are very smart. They take the cream. No, but I'll, I'll tell you what this means. What is distress? Distress is a place of absolute total confinement. It's like a cat which is cornered. Brought to a point of absolute hopelessness <laughs> where you can only look what? Where? Up. That's distress. You're cornered. Everything in your life has come to an absolute failure. Your relationships have failed. Your finances have failed. Your everything has failed in your life and you're literally as, as Pastor says, you're in ICU and only you can see is God. That is what is distress. And what have these people recognized? They have recognized, they have come to a point in their life. Of course, David signifies Jesus here in this case. I'm just looking, that analogy is obvious there. They come to a point in, your, in their life, all hope is lost. Everything is lost. They've come to realize that they are absolutely cornered and without God, they can do nothing. That is distress. Coming to a point in your life where you are absolutely cornered from every scholar. It's like a constriction. You know what a constriction is? Where it just gets, gets, gets blocked. You know, it's like a thermometer. No, it's got that constriction. No? Just gets, everything gets blocked. You point, you come to a point where nothing is working in your life. Now, how do people reach that, this point? People reach this point in two ways. One, because of their own disobedience. Okay. Second, because God led them. Okay, both cases God leads them. But, you know, God deliberately let, leads some people to a point of distress. And another place, people go to a point of distress because of their own disobedience. So look at one guy called Jonah. Then let us look at what he says in Jonah chapter 2. And we'll read this, okay. It's only 8 verses. Look at what he says. <clears throat> now this is after, you know, Jonah is thrown out of the, uh, out of the, ship you would you would think that jonah after falling into the water he would say god please forgive me he doesn't even say anything he was still trying to swim okay now then god has to cause a ship to come i mean sorry a, a, a whale to come and swallow him and even then until three days and three nights he doesn't say anything he's still hoping something somewhere or the other i can just come out maybe in the form of exo- uh, Exhaust. I don't know. <laughs> and digested food. No, no, nothing has happened. He has come, he has come to a point of absolute distress and all because of what? Of his disobedience. Look at what he says. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God from the fish's belly and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol, or, or, or it's not hell, it's the grave, okay? Sheol, I cried and you heard my voice for you, for you cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and all your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. And look at verse 5, I like this verse. Water surrounded me, even to my soul. Deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my... Boy. You know what weeds wrapping around your head means? Uh, 
when I was a kid, I used to like to fly kites during Sankranti. Okay, I was a very nice kite flighter. Kite flighter? Yeah. Okay. Kite flighter. Okay. Kite flyer. I used to, I used to, I used to, I used to love kites. One of the first things all my friends taught me is to how to use the chakra. Okay. Either you do dusty or you know what I'm talking about, right? Dusty. Either you do dusty or you do this. Okay. Now, though, why do we want uh, that kind of a wrapping of the thread is because the thread has got a very interesting property. If you leave it as it is, it get what? It gets absolutely twined. I mean, uh, entangled. Okay. Now you to untangle it, boy, it takes so much of time. And by the time you do pinch, gone. Your kite is gone. Okay. Now that's exactly so many people's life. What has happened? Decision after decision after decision, your life has become so intertwined and complicated now for God to untangle it slowly. He has to do one twine and one twine and exactly what has happened to, J- to Jonah. Brought to a point, he's trying to come out, but you know what? When he's trying to untangle one thread, he's getting into another tangle, another tangle, and he doesn't know where to start and where to end. That's exactly what happens, right? When everything is twined, you don't know where to start. And you just don't know where to pick, where to, which is the starting point, nobody knows. And so many people's lives are like that. <laughs> where do I start, Lord? <laughs> See, that has to be the point where Jonah had to be absolutely entangled. Disobedience after disobedience after disobedience after disobedience. And now when you're entangled, you know what you do? Either you throw the thread and buy a new chakra, or you call your father to untangle it. And that's exactly what he's doing now. You know what he's doing in verse 7? In verse 6, I went down to the moorings of the mountains, the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. You see that? Absolutely confined. You see, it's a, every door is shut, only one door is open. Okay. Yet you have brought my, brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. And verse 8, Awesome verse. Why did you get entangled, brother? Verse say those who regard worthless idols will forsake their own mercy. That is the realization. Worthless idols. Every other relationship. Verse 9. But I will sacrifice to you uh, with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay with what I have bought. Salvation is of the Lord, and moment he says salvation is of the Lord, what happens? So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited him out of the, out of the dry land. Boy. Why? Brought to that point because of his own disobedience. Have you been brought to that point because of your own disobedience? You have hope. You see? You, know, you need to be honest with God. Lord, I have been brought to this point because of my own disobedience. You know, it happens, uh, Shibu, Shibu one of, one of, one of, was one of my mentors, right? He used to tell us, you know, sometimes Vijay, you must have fallen in love with an unbelieving girl. Okay, now the Lord uh, spoke to you. Now you want to quit that relationship. Things are so complicated. You don't know where to start. You know what you should pray? Lord, untangle. You untangle. Because it's all so intertwined. So many decisions you've made. you messed up so many people's lives in the process. Now all that you can do is wait on the Lord and say, Lord, untangle it. That is distress because of your own disobedience. So let me tell you one lesson I learned in my life. If you disobey God deliberately, you will get yourself into a situation where you don't know where to start. Okay. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 4. The solution God gives, verse 25 onwards. I'm reading it from my Bible. You can follow it in your own Bibles. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 25. When you beget children and grandchildren and have grown old in the land and and act corruptly and make a carved image in the form of anything. Verse 25, okay? 425. And do evil in the sight of the Lord your God to provoke him to anger. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day. That you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but you will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve other gods 
work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat or smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you seek him with all of your heart. You seek him. At that point in your distress, you cry out and say, Lord, when you are in distress, verse 35, verse 30, when you are in distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God, he will not forsake you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers which he swore to them. Hallelujah. What a God he is, no? You cry out in your distress. You know, this poor man cried and the Lord, you, uh, Psalm, Psalm 18 verse 6, some, somebody can read it. Psalm 18 verse 6, beautiful verse. Psalm 18 verse 6. Psalm 18 verse 6. In my distress I called upon the Lord. And I cried and I cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his holy temple. You see, that's a promise that you can take for yourself. In your distress, Lord, my life is so complicated, I don't know where to start. All I can do is look up. You know, but many people don't come to that point, no? They're like Balaam. I'll show you this verse. Total. Numbers chapter 22 verse 26. Numbers chapter 22 verse 26. Look at what it says. <laughs> Numbers chapter 22 verse 26. He's disobeyed the Lord. And look at what it says. Yeah. The angel of the Lord went further. Ah, that word again is, you know, constrained, constricted place. And stood in a narrow place. Or to the, no way to turn either to the left or to the right. God has brought you to the point where you can neither turn to the left or to the right. No way to go, Lord. Where should you look up? Look up. Where you look? So don't to the, where you look? Up. You know, but Balaam is so blinded. He can't see. See? Okay, so brought to the Lord because of your disobedience. Second, brought to that point because God led you to that point. To turn to Exodus chapter 14 verses 13 to 14. You'll see this. God periodically brings every one of his children to the point where you can only turn to where? Him. And you learn something about him every time you cry out to him. Exodus chapter 14 verses 13 to 14. You can read that. Yes, quickly. Yes. Ah, and Moses said unto the people, don't fear, stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord. He will show to you today. You see, and the Egyptians which you, which have pursued you will pursue you no more. You see what has happened? God brought them to a point. Red Sea and Pharaoh's army. You know, if you, if you listen, if you've seen the movie Ten Commandments, no? Ramesses is running after, uh, he says, and he looks at how they're getting trapped. They got trapped. You know what he says? The God of Moses is a poor general. <laughs> The God of Moses is a poor general. He doesn't know what to do now. You see, that is what he thinks. But God has brought you to that point so that you can see what? The salvation of God. Salvation of God. Constricted to the point where you can stand still. You have nowhere to go. God has brought you to that point. And what you can see is what? You know what? The Lord of the heavenly armies is going to fight for you now. And the Egyptians who have pursued you will pursue you no more. Alright? So first D. How many of you qualify in the first D? All of us qualify, hopefully. At least you're brought to that point because of your own disobedience. You should at least have that, you know, the courage of conviction to be honest. Second, second D. What is the first D? Distress. Second D, debt. You know, when I was looking up this word debt, you know, the, the word actually means a person who's exacting interest from you, usually. Debt. Do you know, this is exactly what happens, right? Um, for example, let's say you, it happened with me, uh, credit card you purchased, you took a credit card, okay? The fellow will say, sir, uh, no usage charges, huh? what is it called? No, no, no annual fee, thank you, thank, oh yes, thank you, yeah, no annual fee, sir. Okay, so you use your credit card, you think that is no annual fee? And uh, you keep uh, swiping it and you're paying off your credit card. And one day you say, Baba, I don't want this credit card. You cut it and throw it into the dustbin. And you don't use it anymore. You've paid it, everything. But from the next month onwards, from the next year onwards, 500 rupees annual fee he will, he will put on your credit card. And he will keep sending SMSs. 500 rupees annual fee with interest. And you'll say, what is this? 
I didn't use it, but interest. Again, on that 500 rupees, within a few years, it becomes 3,000 rupees. Okay? It becomes more and more and more. All, because, you, and you have never used it actually. Whatever you use it, you paid back. I mean, this is, this is debt. Now, what I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I was looking at that analogy, right? I was just thinking in my mind, what is this? What is this? And I, I, and I was looking at the Hebrew word for debt. Okay, the word for debt in the Hebrew is nasha. And you know what nasha is, right? In Arabic, in Urdu, nasha. It's the same word. What is nasha? What is addiction? Addiction works on the law of diminishing returns. What is it? Law of diminishing returns. You start with a small sin. Okay. You get some pleasure. There is a pleasure, there is pleasure in sin, but for a season. And then what happens? You will say, Baba, it's, but I want to enjoy this pleasure a little more. But the next time when you go, one peg will not be sufficient. To get the same pleasure, you have to drink two pegs. Okay. Same pleasure. But in fact, you know what happens? It'll, the, when the moment you take in, it'll actually leave you less content. Now, in order to get the same contentment the next time, you have to increase the amount of consumption that you take into your system. And the more you take into your system, the less you keep getting out of it. That is nasha. Law of diminishing returns. Nasha. You know, the same word nasha is actually the other word for deceive. It's very know where it's used. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. <laughs> verse 3, I think. 13 or verse 3 or please 13? Let me see. Uh, 3, verse 13. Genesis chapter 3, verse 13, please. The same word, Nasha. Nasha. And the Lord God said to the woman, uh-huh. What is this you have done? Uh-huh. The woman said, The serpent deceived you. Ah, the word. Nasha. Mujhe nasha de diya. Thinking that this is going to satisfy me, I accepted it. Same. What are these set of people there for? You know, they are in debt because they have been deceived by sin. Romans chapter 7 verse 11. Romans chapter 7 verse 11. You see, sin has got an incredible capacity to do what? 7-11. Easy word. So if there is a 7-11, 9-11, 7-11. What is it? What does it say? Ah, sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. That's what, that's what deception, that is what sin does. And who has got the capacity to deceive us? I'll tell you, who has got the capacity to deceive us? We ourselves. I'll show you. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9. Know ye not? Uh huh. Be not deceived. Not fornicate. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, etc., etc., etc. Will enter into the kingdom of horn. Galatians chapter six verse three. Yeah, no, no, that is six seven. That is. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> he deceives himself. Okay. He deceives himself. Again, Galatians chapter 6 verse 7. Same chapter 6 verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, he will reap with interest. That's what it means. That's what these people were. They were in debt. Indebted to what? Sin is reaping a harvest of unrighteousness in their lives. Sin is reaping a harvest. And the more they are, you know, that is exactly what sin does. It hardens your heart and it deceives you. And you know, it promises you a lot, but gives you very little. Okay, that is sin. So how do we get rid of this, no? Turn to Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13. Somebody read that, Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13. We come to David, right? We come to him. How do we get rid of this? Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13. Exhort one another, everybody said that. Daily. How many, how, when? Daily. And then, 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 then what? Why is it called today? 
while it is still called today by the deceitfulness of sin. And by the way, this particular word deceitfulness of sin is only used once in the entire Bible here in this in this place. Hebrews chapter 3 verse You have to exhort one another daily. Can you imagine what we are actually uh, presuming about ourselves? If any man thinks that he is something when he is not, what is he doing? He is deceiving himself. So when he says, Lord, I am prone to falling, what, what will he do? He will gather every day to the hearing of God's word. Give himself opportunities every day of his life so that he can be Changed and then he can, he'll have the possibility and the, and the, and the, and the opportunity to repent. Okay. Otherwise, what will happen? The second, anyway, 313 is very interesting. So you have Genesis 313, Hebrews 313, Second Timothy 313. Very interesting, no? I, I looked at all these 313s. <laughs> look, look, this is just a Bible study kind of. So you can, um, because my, my, my projection, projector is not here, I have to use this. Second Timothy 313. Somebody read that, please. What happened? Evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. What do they do? They deceive and they are also being deceived. Otherwise, you will become an imposter. Imposter means a guy who pretends something which is not. Imposter. Evil men and seducers, other translations will say, will be, they'll be, they'll grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And again, First Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. First Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. And the doctrines of demons, they will depart, they'll be seducing spirits, doctrines of demons, you see. So what is the best way to overcome this in our lives? First thing, James chapter 1. Okay, this is what he says, James chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 21. Okay, let me read that for you in my Bible. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. First thing you need to do is receive the word with meekness, humility. That is need, recognizing your need. Receive the word with meekness. It doesn't matter who's preaching, but receive the word. You see, I was talking about it on Sunday. I, I, I was thinking about it. You know, it's called the offense of the pulpit. You know what the offense of the pulpit is? You receive the word not as if it was a word of man, but as if it was from God. Many people, what they will see is like they look at the preacher. Are, why should I listen to him? I look at his life. The preacher or somebody might well have weaknesses. We are not saying that the people should not be. I mean, preachers should not be. Uh, should not be serious about their work. Now, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking they might be having some apparent weaknesses. But do you still receive the word in spite of the weakness that you see in? As if it was from God. And you know what? God deliberately does that to test us. It's called the offense of the pulpit. It's called the offense of the prophet. The gracious words which are coming out of Jesus. But they were offended because of them. Is this not? Joseph the carpenter's son? Offended. You see? So receive with meekness. First thing, receive with meekness. And then, verse 22, but be doers of the word. You know, a lot of people fall in the first step. They don't even receive. Okay. But the second step is, be doers of the word and not hearers only. What Otherwise, what will you do? Deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. And what do you see? Grey hair. And what do you need? Dye. Okay. This is simple. No, this is, I'm just giving an example. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of a person he is. You know, it's remarkable, isn't it? How immediately you forget how, what kind of a person we are. So immediately, it's so easy to forget our own sin. So easy. Unless somebody else comes and reminds you of it. Unless the Holy Spirit comes and directs you to it. But we'll never forget other people's sin. She said, he said, they said, Bo, but your own sin? That is the reason why you know what Jesus said? Look at the plank in your own eye. Can you, can you imagine a plank in your eye? Just imagine plank. A plank. Shucks, man. 
<laughs> you need a three dimensional view for it. <laughs> you see, you can't see a plank in your own eye. Take care of that and then you'll be able to see the moat in your brother's eye. You see, one of the things that we need to get rid of our own planks. Be interested in your own life. First. That's the thing which I, you know, I say with a lot of love. <laughs> I don't know why people are laughing, but it's okay. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. You know what it means? Continues. It's a continuous process. Boy, every day of our life. Can, I mean, this is a question we need to ask. Can I begin my day without hearing from God? Is a question we need to constantly ask ourselves. Spending time in his word. Is it food to our soul? Like a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. As a deer pants for your, for the water, my soul pants for you. Is that, is that your, is that, is that our cry every day in the morning? And then, if anyone among you thinks he is religious, then verse 26, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. The third thing he says is that, please shut your mouth as much as possible. Don't open it. Just guard. Now, I, mean, I, I, I know that verse, no? It says, I have set a guard on my mouth so that I am not sin against, sin with my tongue. Um, uh, I put a muzzle, it says. Uh, have you seen a muzzle? A dog which, uh, with a muzzle? Just think about it, no? Just whenever, whenever you have these words given in the Bible, imagine yourself in the muzzle. Okay. First of all, can I put a muzzle on my mouth? That means I should have a mouth of a dog, basically. Lord, what are you comparing me with, Lord? Mm-hmm. Please muzzle it. Okay. So, best way to not deceive yourself is to shut your mouth. So, recognize that. So, we have got distressed, debt or deceived. <laughs> and third one is discontented. I like this word. You know, the discontented, the word discontented comes from the Hebrew word mara. What does mara mean? Bitter. Now, this is a very interesting word though. Now, how many of you think bitterness is sin? Let me see. Uh, so, not many of you think bitterness is sin? Is sin? Okay. Uh, positive. Okay. Bitterness okay. Huh? Okay. Yeah. But okay. So, fine. Fine. Okay. Uh, there is a positive bitterness too, in, according to me. I mean, uh, uh, let me show you because this particular word discontented comes with another word. It's actually mara nefesh. It's called bitterness of the soul. That's the only time it's rendered as discontented in the in the in the in the KJV at least. Okay, discontented bitterness of the soul. And I was looking at this particular phrase, bitterness of the soul. Where do where else do I find this particular phrase? Turn to First Samuel, please, chapter one, <clears throat> verse six onwards. I'm going to read it. Are you there? And her rival, that is Penina, that is Hannah's rival, also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went into the, went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten, ten sons? Okay. Are you not satisfied in me, Hannah? Okay. So what, what she, that's what he's asking her. So Hannah arose after that, uh, after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord and was ten. And she was in bitterness of the soul. The same word, Maran Nefesh. Now tell me, is this bitterness positive or negative? Oh yeah. Bitterness of the soul. It's a phrase. And pray to the Why is she bitter in the soul? Because she knows that she's meant for something big. But because of distress and because of discontent in our life, I mean, because of distress and because of sin in our life, because she has 
disobedience and sin in your life, what has come to the point? You've come to the point, nothing satisfies, but you know, deep down inside of your heart, you're meant for greatness. You're meant for something fruitful, meant for something big in the kingdom of God. You see, a lot of people, they're discontent. You know, I, 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 I was reading this book, um, uh, by A.W. Tozer called uh, The Knowledge of the Holy. Now, after I read the book, I was I was totally enamored by the book. So I went to, to Amazon.com to just uh, see what how much the Kindle version is I, I, because I, I just wanted to look at the reviews. So I, I went to Amazon.com and I was uh, reading through the reviews of many authors who read the I mean many uh, readers who read the book. One guy he made he made a powerful statement which just left and print in my mind. You know he says, after I read this book. There is a holy discontent in my heart. I said, boy, that's what happened to me. Because I knew that there's something bigger I'm meant to be, but all the other things are not satisfying me. There is bitterness of soul. Lord, do something about my life. Not even my husband can satisfy me. There's no meaning in my life if I'm not living for you. You see? I believe we all have to come to the point regularly. Now we are coming to the 12th year. And maybe we need to ask God, Lord, create a holy discontent in my heart. I'm not satisfied with the status quo. Lord, I just want to be discontent. I don't want to be satisfied with my spiritual walk. I want to have this holy discontent so that I can birth something for your glory. Okay. Then she made a vow. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give to your maidservant a male child, then I will give to him, give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. You know what? The only way you can satisfy this is God. The only person who can satisfy this is God. And then what happened? Then verse 19 and 20. Let me read this for you. Then they arose early in the morning, worshipped before the Lord, returned and came to their house in Rama. Elkanah knew his wife and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord. And what did she bring forth? She bring forth Samuel. Samuel who would change the history of Israel, change the destiny of God's people. You know something? All of us, have the capacity. We, we, they are not. They are not people who are greatly talented. They are all people who are. You have you observed every every person who had a who had a who had a, 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 a real purpose in God's kingdom. They were all people with barrenness. Sarah was barren. <coughs> Rebecca was barren. Rachel, so many years is barren. But every person, every time, they. They had this in their hearts. Lord, I want to birth something for you. That is what holy discontent is. So there are three Ds. Three Ds. What do you have? You should first of all, people who are in distress, people who are in debt, people who are discontented. Are you discontented today? Do you have a holy discontent? Why? Why should you have these three? You know why should you have these three? Because the Lord has a need. Because who has a need? Do you know that Lord has a need? And very few people know his need. Let me show you. Let's come back to 2 Samuel chapter 23 now. Verse 13 onwards. Lord has a need. Then the three of the 30 chief men went down and came to David in the harvest time to the cave of Adullam, where the troop of the Philistines was camping in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold while the garrison of the Philistines was there in Bethlehem. David had a craving and said, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. David, was, David is what? What is he? He's thirsty. Thirsty for what? For water. David has a need. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, 
that I should do this? Shall I drink of the blood of the men who went in jeopardy for their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These three things, these things that the mighty, three mighty men did. You see, it's very interesting, right? It begins with recognizing what? Your need. And it ends with fulfilling God's need. Isn't it amazing? Hallelujah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, I was thinking that, I said, boy, what a God he is. It begins when we recognize our need and you know what, God, that's a pattern. You know what he says to Abraham? Abraham, I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. It is more blessed to give than to receive. You see, that, so that, I think it's Proverbs, it says, those who uh, give to the poor, they have actually, the Lord is indebted to them. It's amazing. See? Oh, it's, it's amazing. No, it begins with your need and God. That's what, that's exactly what Pastor was talking about. He says, this, let this be the element. God can use us. It begins with recognizing your need, but you know what God says? I will fill your need when those who come to me will never thirst, but out of his belly shall flow what? Rivers of living water. And he says, those who are thirsty, come and drink of me. But you know what? It doesn't stop there. When you start being a river of living water, you also fulfill God's need. Let me prove that to you from scripture. John's Gospel chapter 4, please. <clears throat> Bethlehem is the house of bread, by the way. Okay, But you wanted a water from there. Let's read from verse 31 onwards. <clears throat> John's Gospel chapter 3, verse 31 onwards. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, Sorry, John's Gospel chapter 4, sorry. Chapter 4, verse 31 onwards. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. You see that? Okay, the first time I went to, uh, went to Gideon's, right? When I was looking at the Gideons, I told them, asked them, uh, I asked them, how many of you think uh, ministry is punishment or nourishment in Gideons? No, everybody was looking at me. They're all working in a Christian organization. No, uh, then one person said, sometimes it is punishment, uh, sometimes it is nourishment. And I said, you know what? You know what Jesus says? To do the will of God is nourishment to Him. It's a food for Him. And what does it mean? What is God hungry for? You know what God is hungry for? He's hungry for lost souls. And a lot of people, when if you want to go into a territory where you want to win souls, it is tremendously risky. You know that old Belgian pastor or a, or a priest who went to Hawaii, to the leprous island, leper island in Hawaii? He went, yeah, Father Damien, Belgian, Belgian pastor, Belgian priest. He went to, uh, to, to Hawaii, uh, leprous island. He started preaching there over a period of time. He got leprosy. But in the process, so many people in the leprosy colony got saved and ultimately one day when he, when he got leprosy, he came to this congregation and said, you know, God loves all of us lepers. You know? And then he died. Then, you know, once you die, you become a hero in your own country, right? So the Belgian people wanted his body. You know what the Hawaiian people said? You know what? Take his body, but give his heart, because his heart belongs here. They took his heart and buried it in Hawaii, and they took, it, took his body back to Belgium. But it started with one man who took a risk and went to the lepers. You see, Hudson Taylor? Or, uh, Hudson Taylor is, your, your, is, is what you're reading, right? Hudson Taylor. And she asked me, very interesting question. She asked her mother, Mama, Hudson Taylor's story, is it real or is it false? And Mama said, no, it's it's real. Oh, then I will see Hudson Taylor in heaven. You see, Hudson Taylor? And who's that guy from uh, to Africa? What's his name? Livingston. Uh? Livingston. 2,500 miles. Un Lost his eye. Lost his eye in the process. He went through different, different forests and he's touched so many people. That is how the gospel reached there. And these are the people, you know what? They risked their lives because they knew the heart of God. They knew God had a need. You see? Now, we don't have to become Hudson, uh, David Livingston's and Hudson Taylor's and Father Damien's. You know, but in your own offices, can you be 
that source of living water, you know that God has a need. There will be some person who is absolutely distressed, who is in debt, who is discontented, and you can be the source of living water to him. It all starts with recognizing your need. Turn to Matthew chapter 25 now. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. Verse 37 onwards. Yes. Ah. Ah. God is hungry. Ah. You see that? God is hungry, and then thirsty and give you a drink. When did you see you a stranger and take you in? Bah. Do you see that God has a need? Do you see God has a need? You know, many of us are blinded to the needs of others because we are so much concerned about our own lives. We don't recognize our need for a savior, first of all. We think that we can solve our problems ourselves. We worry, worry so much. Worry about provision, worry about children's education, worry about which syllabus to take, whether it should be CBSC, ICSC or AC. Or in your school, will they teach all three? <laughs> and that is what uh, parents will come and ask me. <laughs> will they teach all three in your school? Side by side. Just in case this doesn't work. So worried. So worried for the system. I was, pastor was talking to this uh, little lady over here who started her coaching now. And the day they, you know how they started their coaching? By praying to Krishna and Rama. You know what pastor said? If you choose this, uh, schools like that, they will ask you to pray for Krishna and Rama. She did both of them. <laughs> you see that? You see that? They will ask you to pray to Krishna and Rama. And do we want our children to come and to get exposed to such kind of thing? You know what? I used to take this as a challenge. You know? uh, I, I was also like that. I used to go to a special coaching center on Sundays also when I was studying for my JE exam. Forget about church. I mean, even if my parents forced it, I never used to go because I thought that exam was more important to me. You see, the point here is this. When you get entangled into the system of this world, you know what happens? You forget the other side. You forget the challenge. Now, after I came into the, uh, into, I mean, started becoming a believer, I said, say, Lord, I want to start a set of young people who will go to church on Sunday, who will honor your Sabbath, but they will still come first in their class. Can you take it as a challenge? They will honor God. You know why? Because God has a need in your workplace. So that when you excel in spite of the way that you put God first in your life, they will see that and say, you know what? There's something different about this guy. You see? A lot of people are discontent in your own office. Distressed. You don't know how, how much they are discontent. They can have hundreds of papers, but they're still discontent. They still need a God. I had recently a conversation with my with my professor. You know, I, uh, very interesting conversation. He looked at me, and, and 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 we were having this very intense discussion. And in the in the college itself, there is so many factions. I knew after I came out of out of, out of university, you know, so many factions. There is a right wing, there is a left wing, even in the college, in the university. Okay, right right, right wing right, right wing politics, left wing politics. Left wing people say there is no God. And he made, a, he made a powerful statement. I just couldn't, I mean, get out of my system. You know, he said, Vijay, science as an institution has become arrogant. They're too true of, they're too sure of themselves. Science as an institution has become arrogant. They're too sure of themselves. They've become arrogant. They think they can solve all their problems. But they can't. I, I was stuck. I said, sir, can I write it down, please? I'll use it in my church. <laughs> Science as an institution has become arrogant, Vijay. They are too sure on themselves. Very interesting. Coming out. You know, and you should see the kind of politics that goes on. Nobody is satisfied there. There is always competition. Jealousy. Envy. When the younger pro- professor uh, gets a little you know, recognition, senior professors are, are jealous. 
kind of politics that goes on. You know why? And you know what? There's the only way you and you, you know who, who's the only solution? It is not the left wing. It is not the right wing. It's the way of the cross. Yeah, it's very interesting. You know, I told my prof. It was my prof. My prof had a very, very f- fantastic story to say. You know, I'll just stop with this though. Yeah, he he had a senior prof. In the in the in the mailing group, he sent an email saying that one of my friends is doing a concert. In that concert, the flyer said, some of the strands of Indian music worships the goddess Saraswati. Please come and witness the performance. Send it as an email. My professor sent it. Some of his friend was doing this concert. One of his friends was doing his concert. So he sent it. And so one guy got offended. Left wing guy got offended. He sent an email saying that. What do you mean? Indian music only worships the goddess Saraswati? Please don't spam my inbox with such junk. Senior professor from Princeton. Okay. My professor got a little upset. You know what he said? If you think Indian music only worships Saraswati, you deserve to be spammed. It's an email going on. Chain. And senior professor, junior professor, he got a little, you know, convicted. In his, I don't know, convicted. I think he also got convicted. So he went to his senior professor's office. He knocked at his door, he opened the door and the senior professor got up in a rage. He held him by his neck, used profanity on his face and shoved him out of the office. And this is happening in triple IT, okay? Imagine triple IT robotics lab and robotics professor. My, my professor is like the top roboticist in India, okay? So one of the top at least. So and he was shocked. And that is when he took a stand towards the right wing politics, no? And then I looked at him and I said, sir, Left wing, right wing. The only way you can come together when you wash one another's feet, the only way is the way of the cross. And you were shocked when I heard said that statement. You know why? Because you and I have the own, are the only people who can carry this message. So many people are distressed. So many, so many people are discontented. So many people are angered towards one another that can't see each other's face. In the most prestigious institutions. The only way is that you Recognize the need that God has. See? So what is it? Let's read that. Then the righteous will answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry? Feed you. Or thirsty? Give you thanks. When did we see you a stranger and take you in? Naked and clothe you. Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly I say to you, Inasmuch as you did to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it unto me. Do you know who God's brother is? One day they all will become his brethren. Right? Do you know in your own office who God's brother is? Don't judge. This fellow is not God's brother. Don't become a Calvinist. No, 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 no. You know, nobody knows. Only God knows. He sees the end from the beginning. But you know, your and my job is to say, Lord, where is the need? Where is the need? But how, you know how it happens? It happens by recognizing the three D's in your life. So this evening, I'm going to end with this exhortation. God has a need. How many of you want to know that? Oh, David was telling himself, I wish I could drink the waters. And these fellows, they just heard. David didn't even know. You know what David did? He took that water and poured it out before the who? Before the Lord. You know what Paul says? I have been being poured out as a drink offering before the Lord. I know the Lord's need. My life is being poured out as a drink offering before the Lord. So this evening, even as I close, the Lord has a need. The Lord has a need. How many of us are going to be willing vessels so that we can fulfill His need? Shall we pray? Lord, we just thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you, Father. We just worship you, Father. Lord, you said you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Like a city on a hill that cannot be hid, let your light shine. Nobody lights a candle and puts it under a bush. But he puts it on the table so that everyone can see. So let your light shine before men so that they may behold your good works and glorify the Lord in heaven. 
And I pray, Father, that every one of us this year, even as we enter into this next year, O oh Lord, the last meeting of this, of this 11th year today, we want to be a set of people who will recognize your need. Lord, we just don't want to be carried away by our own problems, O oh Lord, and be con- consumed by ourselves. But we want to be used in your kingdom, like these three mighty men were. Lord, and it takes everything we know, Lord. But Lord, enable us to come to that point in our lives, in our relationship with you, so that you can share your heart with us. You said, Lord, Father, to your disciples, I no longer call you my servants, but I call you my friends. And you shared your heart with them. Lord, will the Lord do anything on this earth before he reveals his heart to his servants, the prophets? That's what you told about Abraham, Lord. Your friend. Can I withhold from Abraham what I'm about to do? Knowing that Abraham is going to become a mighty nation. That he's going to command his children after him to follow the way of righteousness. Lord, I pray. Lord, we will be a set of people who will share your heart. We'll share one another's burdens. We will know your need. Lord, and we will not hold back from giving our everything. Let it begin in little, little areas in our lives, O oh Lord. Thank you, Father, for this time. Bless your people. Lord, keep us, Lord, Father, from this intense heat, O oh Lord. Watch us in our goings on and our comings in. The sun will not smite us by day, nor the powers of darkness by night. The Lord will preserve our going out and our coming in from this time forth and even forever. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.